because of interoceptive difficulties, we often don't listen to what our bodies need. We don't fuel it properly. We don't water it properly. We don't get the rest that we need. And we, we push our bodies past their limits until they're literally breaking apart. It's like driving a car and you might have a whole bunch of lights, but none of them are labeled and you don't know what any of the symbols mean. And you say, oh, hey, there's that uh, red light again. I wonder what happens with that. And the car just starts shaking uncontrollably. And you're like, huh, that's unpleasant. And then you have to ask people, so why might a car shake uncontrollably? And they say, oh, yeah, well, you lost a wheel back there. Oh, I noticed that there was something going on there. Episode 53, Meat Body Maintenance. Welcome to the Autistic Culture Podcast. Each episode, we dive deep into autistic contributions to society and culture by introducing you to some of the world's most famous and successful autistics in history. Before we get started, a quick disclaimer on how we use the word autistic. The purpose of this show is not to diagnose the people or characters we discuss as autistic. While some may have announced being autistic, what we're really sharing here is our observation of what is representative of autistic culture. It can sometimes be difficult for autistic people to celebrate our natural tendencies and traits due to the perception of autism as a disorder that needs to be fixed, a long history of damaging medical interventions to get autistics to fit in with mainstream culture, and protective masking skills many of us have developed to try to stay safe. Whether you are autistic or just love someone who is, your hosts, Dr. Angela Loria, the linguistic autistic. And licensed psychological practitioner, Matt Lowry, welcome you to take this time to be fully immersed in the language, values, traditions, norms, and identity of Autistica. Autistica. Hey, Angela. Hey, Matt. Uh, we have a really, really, really neat topic and a neat person uh, that we are going to be uh, talking about and with today. And Ooh, I want I'm to, meeting a human. I'm humaning today. We this are is humaning a lot to today. Expect for me. Well, uh, interesting. Okay. Because uh, this is a person that uh, I've known for what about two years now. Yeah, I think 2021. Yeah, it's it's been quite the ride because we were introduced because uh, somebody said, hey, uh, somebody from a, an autistic Canadian circus is looking for somebody to talk about the autism. And I was like, oh, my God. Yes, please. I want to jump into that wholeheartedly. Please, please, please choose me. Oh my God, yes. So, so I feel like, is this the documentary you've talked about? The uh, the circus documentary? You're always bringing it up. I thought it was a myth. It was like the girlfriend from Canada. <laughs> I have a girlfriend in Canada. Sure you do. Uh, Alberta I've got, Glass. I've got I a got documentary it. in Canada, you know. Yeah, yeah I yeah. know. You're famous in Japan too, I've heard. Exactly, yeah. So so this is the documentarian herself. And this is Andrelin Zane. And uh, uh, we, Andrelin has been on quite the journey, even before we met, and especially since we met, because your life has been like something else. Andrelin is a circus performer, a director, a performer, a fitness educator, and dog mom extraordinaire. And so, Andrelin. Tell us. Uh, well, first of all, yeah. nice to meet you, Andrew. Yeah, nice He's been talking too. about you and I thought you were a myth. So it's nice to see. <laughs> this is not one of, you know, Matt's many fairy tales that he shares with me. You are indeed legit. I also did just Google you. And I will say it is quite a collection of filmmaking, circus, performing, fitness, education and, and dog momming. I hit up your Instagram. I'm like, oh, is she dog breeder? What's happening? Who are you, Andrelin? You're a woman of many, many special interests. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I've been basically, I started doing circus uh, over two decades ago. And um, I'm sort of, I'm sort of in between identities right now because I had to take a break because 
on topic of today's episode, my my meat suit started giving up on me. Mm. So did you go, did you go from an interest in fitness to fitness instructor to circus? Was that the, no. like, what was the trajectory? So I, I was a gymnast since I was four. Oh. And then okay, that's I was uh, working on pursuing acting and stunts. And in that, that journey, I came across a circus that was recruiting in Vancouver. And so I started doing that and sort of discovered that circus is basically acting and stunts. And I wasn't able to pursue everything. So I had, I chose circus. Um, and after getting back from circus school in Australia, I, uh, there's a circus school in Australia. There's circus schools everywhere. <laughs> Did you have certain stunts you were best at? Like your trapeze or that weird swingy thingy or the catapult jumping? What, what's your thing? Oh, yeah. What's your, so what's your tricks? The catapult, the catapult <laughs> jumping is teeterboard. That is <laughs> one of mine. Um, my oh. main specialty is called like carrying games. Uh, in Australia, they also call it Risley. And basically, I sit on my husband's feet and he juggles me. Oh, that's cool. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's Matt some and I do that when we're madness. not making. Yeah, when yeah. I met my husband online, actually, and in my online dating profile, I put specifically that I'm looking for somebody to juggle me with their feet and travel around the world. And I'm like, if that's not you, cool, we can hang out. Let's go for coffee. But it's not going to go anywhere. <laughs> It's not going to work yeah. out. Yeah. yeah. It's a woman who knows what she wants. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little niche there, Andrew. Yeah. It's a little I'm niche. I'm glad it worked out because, I mean, honest to God, how many respondents did you get to that? Uh, because, again, the. One person said, yes, actually, I've been looking for the same thing. I've been looking for someone to feet juggle. That's, wow, that works out quite well. Yeah. But yet, nobody knew I was autistic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I feel like that's the most autistic uh, dating profile that could be. <laughs> out there. Cheers. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, the, so that leads to the question because you, you, you realize that uh, you, you, you are good at the proprioceptive stuff and the movement and the the intense flow state of being in this movement. What uh, was the journey that led you from that to the tism? Oh, um, honestly, the the whole reason that I figured it out was because of TikTok. I <laughs> like through You're my not alone, my friend. through my coaching career, I coached many autistic kids, and their parents would come to me and tell me they were autistic. But there was no education as to what autism was. The parents didn't even know what to tell me, uh, what kind of accommodations they might need. I was just given this word. And up until 2020, when I hopped on TikTok and started seeing uh, creators that were assigned female at birth and autistic, giving their description on their autistic experiences... I didn't even know what autism was and then went down the rabbit hole of all of the self-assessments. And um, it became very, very clear when we got our puppy and <laughs> the the barking and everything. I was having so many meltdowns um, and just trying to figure out like what was going on. And I was full on in autistic burnout. Um, that sort of led me down that road. And uh, eventually I found a, a psychologist that specialized in neurodivergencies and was able to assess me. So. Congratulations. Thanks. That's a difficult one to pull off. Yeah. So what led to you deciding to make the documentary? Because the documentary is epic. Yeah, I, I literally got the idea the day I received my di 
diagnosis. Um, there was a grant application deadline, like five days after <laughs> I got my diagnosis. <laughs> and so it's probably the fastest grant application I've ever written in my life. Um, and yeah, I found out a few months later that I got it. And then, uh, so what I know it and it, this is always the case they it always evolves but what was your original vision for the documentary what's in that grant application and then tell us a little about where it is now and how it's maybe changed and why So I kind of was wanting to find out like within my community how many other people we're in the same boat as me and uh, find another way of connecting with my peers. Um, so I know that when I, uh, when I first put out the call to artists, there was a lot of assumptions that it was about how circus was going to impact the development of autistic people, but I really wanted to connect with other professionals who were in circus because that was their special interest, who were, who had achieved a high level of technique and performance and made it their career because of being autistic. How many did you end up with? I had to cut the applications off once I got 20 because I didn't want to say no <laughs> to a bunch of people. <laughs> that was the hardest part. And I was getting like, I mean, first. And those people knew they were autistic, like in the actual question. Did it say, yes, are you I autistic did. and a circus performer? I did accept people who were self-diagnosed as well as professionally diagnosed. Um, and I was getting applications from like all over the world, I was trying to make it uh, mostly in Ontario. And I, oh, as soon as I opened it up to Montreal, I started getting applications from like Italy, from Africa, from uh, South America, like all over the place. Um, I was not aware that Italy is part of Montreal. Neat. <laughs> yeah, know. I know. Same with Africa. Yeah. And like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's because they're all there for Cirque du Soleil, I'm guessing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Matt, I want to jump in here um, and I need a little education from you. I need you to put on your licensed psychological practitioner hat for me. I am super sensory avoidant and I'm guessing circus performers are not. <laughs> I don't even want to juggle like, I don't know, a tissue box from my right hand to my left. It's too much movement. But can you talk to me about kind of where autism comes in and why certain autistic people might be attracted to circus performing? Oh, well, uh, there's two things. One, it's very stimmy because if you like spinning and if you uh, like that sense of, you know, the, the vestibular stimulation, then aerial silks is definitely up your alley because you uh, might really, really enjoy that sense of movement. You might enjoy being tumbled around. You might enjoy someone juggling you with their feet. Uh, and if this is a special interest, then you get into that intense flow state where you could do this for mm -hmm. hours and hours and hours until your meat body starts screaming at you and say, why didn't we stop eight hours ago? And you said, oh, I was really in the groove. And your meat body says, oh, well, we won't do anything for two weeks now. Eat it. Maybe and we shouldn't do it. Yeah, maybe we shouldn't do that for eight hours in a row, my friend. As always, this podcast is free and it will remain free, but we do now have a paid subscription over on our Substack page, which we wanted to tell you about. It includes lots of extras like private Q&A calls with Matt and I, our book club with our favorite book picks and discounts in our Tee Public store. You can check out all the goodies over on our Substack page at autisticculture.substack.com.
So in 20, this it's you're probably listening to this in January if you're listening to it when it first comes out. And I used to do the whole word of the year thing. And in 2012, my word of the year was fun because I couldn't figure... Oh, no, I'm sorry. It was play. And so it, it I makes like me think a, of Pee Wee Herman screaming and all the puppets. Yeah, correct. Go on. And I was like, what do I, I read this book on like why play was so important for adults and how we learn through play. And it was called, it was called Deep Play by Diane Ackerman. I don't know. It's always like a that. book with me. And so I was like, okay, this year I'm going to play every month. I'm going to come up with something to do that adults do that is like adult play that's like play or fun or in your body. Like that was my thing. So like one month it was roller skating and I made this list of 12 things. One month it was uh, amusement parks. One month it was whitewater rafting and one month it was circus. So Anderlin said there's circus schools everywhere. I went to the DC circus school, which I think is the same as the New York circus people. And every single month, month after month, whenever I had my play date, which is what I called them, come up, like I had budgeted money for it and I put it aside and then I would do it. And every, and I even made a video about all these things that I was going to do that like people who had hobbies did. And I was like, at the end of this, I am going to find a hobby. I'm going to meet people. I'm going to have friends for the first time in my life. It's going to be amazing. I can't wait. And then every time it was coming up to the date, I would like completely dread it. And then after I would be like in horrible tears. So I, my circus experience consisted of about two hours of crying at the base of steps to the top uh, or a ladder. I did not make it up the ladder. I made it up like 10 stairs and just like cried hysterically the whole time. And then I went home and I cried for a week and maybe don't pick a word of the year that is like the opposite of everything your autistic meat body needs. So I have to assume if Andra Lynn or any of her uh, film co-conspirators that she picked for this, the first time they're like jumping on the trampoline or whatever, they're like, oh my God, I am home, which is how I feel on a couch with a book, yeah. not moving anything. That's how I felt <laughs> the first time I sat on someone's feet, for sure. You were like, this is it, I'm home. 100%. As soon as I sat, I I knew I'm like, this, this is it. Yeah. So, so tell us Amazing. about this because ever since we uh, we we spent like a year uh, talking back and forth, recording a whole bunch of stuff, and since then uh, I have encountered more and more and more uh, people, both adults and kids, who are very very much into circus performing, who are into aerial silks, who are into tumbling. I. One time I did an evaluation and uh, kid autistic, uh, we started talking to the family. Family's probably autistic going up to the grandparents and like the grandparents are like, well, I can't possibly be autistic. And I was like, so uh, what, do, how did you all meet? I was like, well, we met at 15 when we decided to uh, leave home and jump on a train and join the circus. And I was like, I got a funny story for you people. And it's, it seems like this is a magnet for outside the box thinkers, for people who find cubicle work intolerable, who need that sense of constant movement, who need that uh, proprioceptive and vestibular stimulation, and who, who, who uh, just, we, we can't do the cubicle life. So uh, tell, tell us about all of that, because uh, uh, I find it fascinating. I'm fascinated. Well, one thing totally. with circus is not only is there already so many different specialties that you can do within it, but it is an art form that is open to new development and new ideas. And so there's something for everyone. And I have this theory that people choose their specialty based on the type of pain that they enjoy the most. <laughs> Ooh, yes. Good segue. Because Talk more. Because like for me personally, I hate spinning. I cannot stand spinning. Uh, and there's many, many specialties that require that. And I will, I just, 
stay away from them as much as I can. But for me, flipping and getting kicked sometimes in uh, uh, not the nicest places and you get <laughs> you get bruised. Um, but that's the type of pain that makes me feel alive. And some Ooh. people like even with juggling, juggling clubs bruise my thumbs and I don't like it. <laughs> but it, like falling from six feet, I'm I, I think of everything that I've done in my life. I am I would consider myself a professional faller. I am such an expert <laughs> at falling. That is what I have the most experience in. I, I am. I also have a lot of experience falling, but it usually includes tears. <laughs> I just fall whenever I leave my house and attempt to walk in shoes. That is the the trigger for me. Walking on a new surface, uneven sir. I don't even nothing. I don't need any extra apparatus. Just my own damn feet. That's enough for me. <laughs> that is so wild. I think this is like the one thing I want to point to and Matt will reference the autistic centered therapy um, episode as well here. But like, I've had so many well-meaning people. So like teachers, HR directors, parents, siblings, um, life coaches, therapists who suggest things, yoga teachers who suggest things to me that have or haven't resonated, right? And I always thought, well, if you're an authority, doctors, I always thought like if they suggest like, I don't know, jogging and it doesn't work for me, something's wrong with me. And I've always, when it comes to my body, I've always taken it to like, I have to listen to outside authorities about my body because they seem to know. I don't know. Michelle Obama says I should move. Uh, the other one wants me to be best. That's not grammatically correct. So I don't feel like I need to listen to that one. But <laughs> like oh, Michelle Obama's <laughs> let's move campaign. I'm like, she would like me to move. I would like her to be my friend. I guess I should move. So it's really interesting. And Matt, I'd love you to comment on this when you're doing autistic centered therapy with somebody, when you talk about meat body maintenance, like obviously you've talked about the burnout piece of it, but how do you, how do you think about advice about moving your body? Like people were telling me to play or people were telling me to jog or all the advice we get about our body. Uh, how do first, you think about that? First of all, I'm just glad that your PDA is based on grammatical correctness. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, correct. This is the way. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this is a big thing because of interoceptive difficulties. We often uh, don't listen to what our bodies need. We don't fuel it properly. We don't water it properly. We don't get the rest that we need. And we, we push our bodies past their limits until they're literally breaking apart. And this can be a very, very common thing. And teaching us to pay attention to subtle cues, because again, we it's like driving a car and you might have a whole bunch of lights, but none of them are labeled and you don't know what any of the symbols mean. And you say, oh, hey, there's that uh, red light again. I wonder what happens with that. And the car just starts shaking uncontrollably. And you're like, huh. That's unpleasant. And then you have to ask people, so why might a car shake uncontrollably? And they say, oh, yeah, well, you lost a wheel back there. Oh, I noticed that there was something going on there. Uh, yeah. Do you happen to have a wheel on you? Like, no, that will require a year of uh, rest and uh, you know reconstitution to rebuild your wheel. Right. Oh, that's inconvenient. And uh, so, so this sounds like, so when we were doing the documentary, you were just in the process of figuring this stuff out because, uh, it, it was around the time when you realized that you have the autistic accent and oh that was God, a neat you moment. pointing that out ruined I was everything say, for me. <laughs> did she realize it because you told her, Matt? I love how you use like the third person that you're like, oh, you found out. I'm like, I think I know how she found out. Yes. And, yeah, yeah. and he made it so that, that working on editing the documentary has been torture because I can't not see it. 
the, well, we the, love this, it. this is like the sweet way. music to the, us. Yes, yeah. yes, this is the way. The, this is why, again, because we have the sweet, sweet sounds of the autistic voice. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, it's uh, there is a uh, there's this one TikToker, El Cordova, like has the greatest voice in the world, the most autistic accent in the world, just completely flat. And, you know, she sings songs in this very super flat autistic accent. And when I'm going through like Facebook reels, I will watch everything she puts out because it is literally music to my ears. So that is a fascinating thing about all this that, you know, you, 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 you started off at this, am I autistic to damn, I'm really autistic. But but that goes into when you started to realize that uh, going to the pain, the, 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 the pain that you enjoy also completely wrecked your body and we were talking about like the comorbid stuff the the are because uh, because we have that genetic difference that we are immune to mtor well, that makes our brains hyperconnected but the genetic difference also makes our bodies our connective tissue in our body super wonky which is why so many circus people are stretchy uh, why you find so many contortionists and people who are able to bend and stretch and do all sorts of impressive feats. And uh, for our listeners, I don't know if I've mentioned this, but I can turn my feet around 180 degrees. And I got uh, in my high school yearbook for uh, what well, I, I went into the bathroom, uh, took, uh, changed all my clothes, put all my clothes around backwards, turned my feet around backwards and walked down the hall backwards. It looked like my head was on 180 degrees backwards. And uh, I, I started screaming my head's on backwards my head's on backwards oh my god my head's on backwards and uh a substitute teacher that i kid you not named miss hawkman one of the greatest names ever uh screamed dropped her stuff ran out of the building and we never saw her again so so there you go you're pursuing your your next career moving to clowning Exactly. There you go. I was going to say, Matt could do clowning. We figured it out. If this whole therapy thing doesn't work out, I I once asked Anderlin about the care and feeding of the clowns because where does she keep them? Because I'm assuming you could shove like 15 into a small box. Uh, What what you feed the clowns? How often the clowns need to go on walks? You know that kind of stuff. We are thrilled to announce the launch of the Autistic Culture Podcast Tea Public Store. Woohoo! You can now get t shirts, hoodies, mugs, and more featuring original designs related to autism and our show. Whether you want to showcase your autistic pride, spark conversations, or just share your love of the podcast, we've got some cool merch options for you. And guess what? Our paid subscribers on Substack get a special 10% off code for the store. If you subscribe to our newsletter at autisticculture.substack.com, you will get exclusive subscriber content plus a 10% discount code you could use at our Public merch store. Every purchase helps support our show. So if you want to proudly display your autism ally status and values, browse the store today and be sure to tag us on social media showing off your gear. We just want to say thanks to all of our listeners and our paid subscribers, especially for making this podcast possible. All of the money from our Tee Public store goes to pay our amazing staff. And we could not do this without your support. We hope you love the merchandise. I love it, Matt. I'm very excited about it. I can't wait for my mugs and magnets and stickers and uh, various pillows to show up because there's a certain source of pride that comes from having your quote on a pillow. So... I'm excited. Find us at Tea Public or look for the link in the show notes. Tell us, because again, during the documentary, that's when things took a very hard left turn because as you started to get checked out for this stuff, you found out that your meat body was a lot more complex than you first suspected. Uh, Tell us about that moment. Tell us about all the stuff that you went through and tell us about the last two years because you have been on a remarkable journey that completely changes the context of everything that you filmed. Yeah, well, because originally when I had started the documentary and when I like even back to when I was doing the grant application, I was intending to be 
doing circus in it. But the closer I got to the date, the more my body just stopped functioning. And uh, previous injuries that I had had were getting worse and worse and worse. And it had gotten to the point where I was in pain sitting, I was in pain standing, I was in pain lying down. I was okay if I was walking, but then I would get too tired. <laughs> and so I went from training 20 hours a week to barely being able to walk my dog around the block and was on painkillers throughout the day for years. Um, I just finally got hip surgery in March. Um, and oh had, God, that took a very long time. Took a very long time. And I had radiofrequency ablation done, uh, which is basically where they use an x-ray machine to touch needles to nerves to zap them to basically kill the nerves in both of my SI joints and my L5S1. So for the longest time, it basically felt like I was torn in half, like my legs were one entity and my upper body was another entity and I had no connection with my upper and lower body. And throughout all of that as well, um, I had gone to get tested to find out if I have Ehlers-Danlos sim Syndrome, which is... What is Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome? Yeah, sorry, go on, so, uh, explain it to us. So it's a connective tissue disease that a, a lot of people in circus have, <laughs> as I've been coming to learn. Because the stretchiness attracts uh, people. And uh, yeah, if, if you're going to be in circus, if you're going to do the stretchy stuff, you need to be stretchy. But stretchy people might have the EDS. Yeah. Um, and what I ended up discovering through that, I don't have EDS. Uh, I have polycystic kidney disease, which I've known about since I was 18 years old. It's a genetic disease that I got through my uh, my father's side of the family. And even though I had known about this, they don't publicly speak about the fact that it's a connective tissue disease. I only found You're out right. because I went to the Ehlers-Danlos Clinic the doctor there showed me a, a scientific report that had been done that showed that uh, vascular EDS presents similarly to polycystic kidney disease. And so I still got genetic testing because he wanted to make sure that I didn't also have vascular EDS which I don't. Good call. Uh, so luckily, I only have one connective tissue disease, which is enough. But it also led me down the path to find out that I have POTS, which I've had since I was, the symptoms started when I was 10. Um, What's a POTS? So POTS is postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. I have been passing out all the time my whole life, uh, to the point what uh, when I was a teenager, I used to feel that it was coming on. I would run to the mirror and I would watch my pupils <laughs> go really big and then really small and I'd fall on the floor and then I'd get back up. Ouch. And it had, I had seen so many doctors. I had had so many tests. Nobody could give me any answers that I just assumed it was a quirk that I had. Um, until, <laughs> until a few years ago when a good friend of mine, who's a chiropractor, um, I was like joke telling him about that. And he's like, mm, you know, that's not normal. I'm like, well, it's normal for me, <laughs> but, uh, that part isn't the part that bothered me. The, the thing that started getting worse in like 2020, 2021 is especially in the fall and the winter, if I would go out in the cold and especially if I would go for a walk and then go back into the hot, I would get so weak that 
my neck muscles weren't strong enough to hold my head up. I had to like Ouch. have my head propped up. I couldn't open my water bottle. Is that POTS That's related? Pots. Oh, my, because it's some sort of tachycardia type it, reaction? Like your a, heart wasn't getting enough blood? It's a dysfunction of the autonomic nervous system. So it affects everything. Um, like I couldn't hold a pen and put enough pressure on paper to communicate. Speaking required too many muscles. Um I couldn't like I couldn't text like I scrolling on TikTok was too hard because just moving my hand. So I I'm this professional circus performer that can't even like scroll, scroll. on TikTok. Oh. Wow. And sometimes the flare ups would last hours. Sometimes they would last days to a week. And. I started getting desperate and um, knowing that I was autistic, speaking with my family doctor, she was able to put the fact that POTS is a comorbid um, illness with a lot of autistic people that that's the direction that we should start looking at. And thankfully, because I had gone to the EDS clinic, I got referred to a cardiologist and a respirologist who both specialize in EDS. So even though I don't have it, they specialize in people who have connective tissue disease. And so I was actually able to see people who had a much better understanding about what was going on. Cause I had seen two cardiologists previous to that and they couldn't figure anything out. I had so many tests done. Um, and that's a big thing for autistic people with our unique health stuff. Because uh, one of my friends realized a while back that polycystic ovarian syndrome, PCOS, is a connective tissue disorder, which is, of course, with our connective tissue wonkiness, much more common for autistic people. But again, yeah. so few doctors put the, the 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 pieces together like that. And especially for female presenting people, just say, oh, yeah, it's all in your head. Uh, just go home and be a man about it. And right. so how or, did, as we like to say, have you tried just suffering? suffering? Uh, <laughs> mugs, pillows, and t-shirts with that logo available in the T public store. Shameless plug. I love it so much. But yes, uh yeah, so uh, how did you find these specialists? How did you get to the place where you found these people who said, who who believed you, number one, because, oh my God, that's a tough one. And number two said, which is amazing, autistic people are more likely to have this. Let's look into it. Honestly, I'm just so lucky to have a family doctor that actually listens to my concerns and if she doesn't have the answer she will reach out to colleagues to uh, see if other people have directions that she can go in she will send me to specialists um, she doesn't give like a time limit on on how long I can talk to her about what's going on when I see her and we only started seeing her in 2016. Prior to that, I had only had negative experiences with family practitioners. And I had gone for like a decade without having a family doctor, even with all of my chronic illnesses um, that <laughs> I kind of need one for. So that's that's really what it comes down to is is the fact that I found a family physician that listens. And that, that can be another element of where we run our autistic meat bodies into the ground. Because if, if we say, oh, yes, my check engine line is on, but if I go to the mechanic, they'll say that I'm lying and that I have Munchausen's or something. Yeah. I had a, uh, I, w I lost my voice for two years. And which was totally an autism syndrome uh, symptom, but I ended up at over 30 doctors and, and 
And it became almost like a job. I was always researching and then going to doctors. And then I ended up in horrible burnout from self-care of trying to go to doctors. And then I was trying to go to uh, voice therapy because somebody told me voice therapy would work. And then I was going to uh, the sticky penny Chinese people, oh, acupuncture. acupuncture. Yeah. Yeah. So, like I was doing so much self-care that I completely burned out. And I was like, my new tre- treatment plan is my couch. Yeah. yeah. I'm not getting off it for a year. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I had to stop <sighs> teaching. I had to stop circus. I stopped literally everything like mid 2021. Um, and going to doctors was my full-time job. Yeah. yeah I, 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 remember just, some... I just started doing circus again in September. Oh, wow. Yeah, I started it's, teaching it's... again a month ago. Yeah, because the last time we uh, we recorded stuff uh, in 2021 was right when you said, oh, yeah, I'm going to go to the doctor and film it. And then that was the big stretch of all of this. So, uh, yeah, how how have you been? How did you get to the point from the point of I can't hold my head up to now I'm doing circus again? Because that seems like a ridiculously long and jagged road. Mm. Yeah. Well, and it's still, I still have a long road ahead of me. I'm not up to 20 hours a week yet. I'm training like between an hour and a half to maybe five, six hours a week. So I still have a long ways to go before I'm back to where I was. But I started medication for the muscle weakness uh, in the spring. I got the surgery. I got the radiofrequency ablation. Um, been going to therapy to get through the autistic burnout. Um, I'm going to be actually starting. I don't have uh, ADHD, but I'm going to be starting ADHD medication for the brain fog. Um which that that's been a like a whole nother journey getting to that point because because of the polycystic kidney disease um there's a lot of medications that I can't have um in in part because I my blood pressure has to stay regulated or my kidneys will fail sooner um, oh God! Yeah, mm, that makes sense. And uh, so, yeah, and I started, I started a medication to help with like the fatigue and just the the joint pain, and so it's, I'm I'm still mid journey. I'm not out of the hole yet, but there's definitely. There's there's a lot of mental work that still has to be done because there's there's the relief of knowing why uh, why it's been so difficult for my entire life uh, or since I was ten at least and trying to figure out like okay this is why it was difficult what is worth pushing myself through what should I stop doing what what kind of goals are realistic now because I've always been the kind of person that will shoot for the moon and I don't know if I can do that anymore so I don't know I don't know what to what I can set as goals anymore. So it's going to take some time to, to relearn what I'm capable of. And that's a big, big issue because uh, I always say that our brains move at the speed of light, but we're limited by our floppy meat bodies and realizing that you are stuck in the meat suit that uh, you were assigned instead of the, the meat suit that you want that can fit with your your balance and your properoceptive uh, uh, needs and your talents. That's 
that can be a really, really tricky thing to navigate. It gets into like identity issues. I know for me, there's like a, please don't watch it, terrible documentary about me on Amazon Prime. And um, I talk about how I want to get my business to $100 million and to get acquired by a major publishing company and like all these goals that I had. And they were genuine. Like it was my identity. Like it was completely genuine. But the cost of that was um, complete mutism. Like I would not be able to talk. Like I would not like the cost was just too high. I was like over driving my lights. Like when it's a dark and foggy night and you're going like 80 miles an hour, but your lights can't see that far. And so I was like, oh, I need to build a life that actually I can stay emotionally regulated 80% of the time. Like that I'm not always in like this hyper fixation mode where everything's breaking and I don't even notice it because I have like no interoception, like I have no ability to perceive it. So by the time I hit burnout, I was so, it was, I was so far gone that I didn't even know how to reclaim like the hardest part of that burnout. And I know yours was like more physical than just mental as well. But it was like, well, who the fuck am I now? Because all of those tasks, like I'm a filmmaker, I'm a circus performer. For me, I'm like a businesswoman. I'm an author. I'm a like, have a multi-million dollar business. Like that was who I am. So it's very fine that I could slow down, but can someone tell me who the fuck I am now, please? And you're like you're getting hit with that with along with the physical stuff and the mental stuff. It's a lot to take in. It's not just like, oh, I'm sick. It's I'm sick and I'm a totally different person and I have no idea who that is. Yeah, and in some ways before when I didn't know, I would just ignore everything and I would Ooh. power through with adrenaline and yeah. um, hence. Have you tried <laughs> just suffering? Mm. Yeah. But it's not even, I don't know, for me, it wasn't even suffering. It was just like default mode, power through. Yeah. Isn't that what people do? Yeah. Well, and then. I assume that's what people do. And then uh, the whole like having a schedule and being rigid with that, it was so much easier for me if, even if my meat suit wasn't working for me that day, it was easier for me to try and just use the adrenaline to get through things and then crash and not be able to move than it was to figure out how to adjust my schedule. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, totally. so now I don't, totally now I don't have a schedule. I don't have a routine and that's just a whole different level of struggle. Yeah. How do you deal with no uh, structure and no routine, no schedule, no routine, being an autistic person who thrives on schedule and routine? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. She will advise you once she figures that out. I'm guessing that you do that because like the routine is don't have a routine because anything could happen. Yeah. and Because the cost of having one got higher than the cost of not having one. And because I don't want to let people down. Ah. Yeah, that's the worst. It's the worst. It's the worst. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, so I don't want to make any commitments to anybody for anything, which is why it's taken me so long to get back to teaching and why I'm like barely taking any hours and and trying to make sure that even if I'm in a flare up, I can like manage to teach for an hour. And if I if I'm burnt out from that, I've got days to recover. And so some days all I can manage to do is feed my dog and feed myself and just wait for time to pass. This, I think this is one of the things about dogs, right? It kind of, you have, like, they're going to have to go to the bathroom and you're going to have to do something about that. Like it, it almost creates a routine for you. Cause I mean, I'm sure some people just abandon their 
pets, but yeah. Oh, and um, my dog is definitely autistic ADHD. <laughs> we we've done our cats episode. We have not yet done our dog episode. Yeah, he's he's a border collie, so you can only. Oh, <laughs> got it. All, all the information yeah. has been provided. Yeah, there's no way you can just like neglect a border collie. They will ensure that you do yeah, not. And he needs, you will pay attention. He needs his routine. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I love border collies. We love hearing from our listeners. So head over to this episode on Substack and leave us your comment. It's autisticculture, all one word, dot substack.com. That's autisticculture.substack.com. And that, that brings us to the whole thing about, you know, setting expectations for others because we have to find value within ourselves that is independent of what we can offer to other people. No. Because we, one of the big things that I work on with people and myself is that uh, we we have intrinsic value just by existing rather than by being productive by being of service to others of of doing the things and being a product and but i'm like i feel like for me my story was like i have a bad personality but at least I'm a really good worker. So I generate like revenue for my company or like I'll, you know, go out of my way for people. And this makes up for the fact that I have a terrible personality and I make everyone uncomfortable. And also I make mistakes all the time. And also I fall all the time and that's really embarrassing. And I get car sick and people have to like pull over and I'm a huge nuisance. So the least I could be is productive, Matt. Is that not accurate? I was I was affirmed for many years that that was a good and accurate conclusion that I drew. Yeah, yeah. Neurotypicals had a uh, the consensus that I am indeed a clumsy asshole. So yes, yeah. I, the same has been determined yeah. about me, and therefore be extra productive, be more productive yeah. than anyone yeah, else. Yeah, I, I would work uh, at my forty hour a week job, 65, 70 hours a week, uh, in order to justify my existence and to say, ah, oh, yes. I'm an asshole, but I do a lot of work. So I'm mm-hmm. I'm a useful asshole. So useful asshole. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's our new merchandise. Yeah. And again, that goes back to our Thomas the Train episode about how for years uh Thomas's tagline was a really useful engine. And Aww. yeah, because again, the, uh, I'm, I'm convinced that the Reverend Audrey, Audrey was autistic, that his son is autistic, and that it's a very deeply autistically ingrained show uh, that uh, is eventually, you know, now show run and written and acted by autistic people. So, you know, just that whole you know, shift from being a very useful, a really useful engine to being good friends and just, you know, doing your thing. Or just having value without producing, which like all of capitalism tells everyone is not true. And then add being autistic and it's times a thousand. And you have to buy food and pay rent. And you have to buy food and pay rent. And then also with circus, you're getting applause on top of it. That's confusing. Like I am valuable when people applaud. That's how I know. But the thing is, there's a saying in circus claps for splits because people don't even clap the the highest value the tricks stuff, they clap we don't know. for when you do the splits. <laughs> so no matter what you do, as long as you can do the splits, then you're going to get applause. How about a kick line? <laughs> we, li- we like kick lines too. We don't know. <laughs> Dancers always complain about that. They're like, you literally want the kick line. That is easy. Yeah. The hard things, you don't care. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I. Well, I I really want to keep up with your journey because your journey is fascinating. And uh, if if you ever need, you know, help with the whole, you know, documentary documentation of the whole thing, uh, we could, you know, reach out to people who we, we, we we've met some really interesting autistic filmmakers and it's. It's some neat stuff because your 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 journey is a fascinating one, and it is 
it is something that I personally know a lot of people will would love to know about because there is no roadmap for how to deal with all these health issues and the burnout and all the struggles that you're dealing with. You're essentially writing the how-to manual on how to deal with all of these life stressors. Well, yeah, so this episode is meat, uh, meat body maintenance. And my big takeaway is it's a very personal and individual journey. Like there's no, like I feel like I get with my car, I got a manual that's like get an oil change every 5,000 miles and take it in for a service every whatever it says in there that I'm not doing. Um, But like, are there, is there any regret you have? Like if you knew you were autistic sooner, do you think you wouldn't have had a career in circus? Do you think you would have stopped in the middle of flow state being juggled by your future husband or present husband? Like what, like, what do you think? Is there anything you would have done differently or advice you would give to your younger self now? I don't know. It's, it, it, that's, it's a hard question that I've asked myself numerous times and I think anybody that's late diagnosed asks themselves that question like how did nobody know and you whether you're conscious about it or not you're in the background of your brain you're reliving your whole entire life through a new lens and questioning what you would do different, what you could do different, what you would understand more or better. And I I don't think there's an answer because you can't, you can't go back and try and find out. Yeah, we, we need that. to have save points in our life where we can go back and try the different paths and, you know, right. yeah. yeah, sliding doors. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So so yeah. that leads to the uh, the other question of what have you enjoyed about being autistic this week? Or or in general? Well, one thing that's interesting is uh, I so I started teaching again and one of those projects is uh, a friend of mine got a grant to create a youth circus show. Oh. And <laughs> so there's three coaches. Uh, I'm autistic. My friend is ADHD and the other coach is ADHD. <laughs> and so, <laughs> got it all. and so that's the trifecta. Uh, it's the new Charlie's angels. Yeah. Oh, there you go. And so <laughs> being able to be in a creative process, with other people who not only have those neurodivergencies, but are aware of their neurodivergencies and how their brain works, we're able to come up with a lot of ideas that go really well together. Uh, but we're also able to bond over our how our brains work and <laughs> And be aware of which kids <laughs> we think are on. We play yeah. my team, your team. <laughs> oh my That's God, awesome. I love this. Also, <laughs> I believe we should be creating a treatment for this and sending it to Hollywood because I would like a sitcom based in a youth circus camp. Oh God. With an autistic ADHD and ADHD uh, leader. Like, this is the perfect setup. Every week will be a new episode. I can only imagine what you're experiencing out there. Can focus on de- I this is it. This is my new favorite show. I would watch the hell out of that. Yes. Right? <laughs> yeah. It's perfect. We'll let you know when we sell it, Angela. <laughs> we'll, we'll make sure you get the cut. I'm I'm going in. This has been so fascinating. I um like many people, I am a huge circus fan and admirer and um I think especially when we see people on stage whether it's actors or athletes or anything performance, it's very hard to imagine what's happening backstage. Or when they aren't on stage, it seems like 
you're all superhuman and you're always on stage and you always feel great and you're always smiling for the camera. And um, opening this up and being so vulnerable and sharing the truth of your journey, I know has been majorly impactful for me. And I know our listeners will get a lot of value too. So thank you so much, Andrelin. And Matt, thanks for introducing us. My pleasure. It's been fun. Y'all have a good one. Yep. Leave your comments. We want to hear what you think. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Autistic Culture Podcast. If you like this show, you can help other people find it by taking a few minutes to rate and review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You can find out more about writing your book with me at differencepress.com. That's difference, D-I-F-F-E-R-E-N-C-E, press, P-R-E-S-S.com. Or getting a psychological evaluation or consult with me at www.mattlowrylpp.com. That's M-A-T-T, Matt Lowry, L-O-W-R-Y, L-P-P, as in licensed psychological practitioner.com. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And remember, no one ever changed the world by being like everyone else. Special thanks to our content manager, River Robbins, and Aaron Stoner, our producer for making us look and sound good. Thank you.